0: The Thargoid invasion fleet started arriving in November 3308 as a response to Salvation's firing of the Proteus Wave in August that year. It was in 3309 that humanity learned to confront the alien invaders and turn the war around.
1: With Azimuth in disgrace following August 3308's Proteus Wave disaster in HIP 22460, it wasn't long before the Galactic Authorities started thinking about allowing Aegis to reform. Following Professor Albert Tesro's call for Aegis to be given another chance, Princess Ashling Duval was one of the first politicians to give support to the idea. The Imperial Emperor was reportedly not at all happy with this call for an exception to the Empire's isolationist approach. But after discussions, she granted the Princess permission to assist in setting up the new Aegis. With the pardoned Admiral Aidan Tanner having recently left the Federal Navy, and with President Hudson and Prime Minister Mann also on board, Aegis was operational by mid-February. At the same time, Azimuth was doing what it could to re-establish a level of credibility. The rivalry between Aegis and Azimuth resulted in a number of new weapons and utilities being developed.
0: Azimuth was first to release, even before Aegis had reformed. Its weapon stabiliser allowed more AX weapons to be added to a loadout. Next, Professor Palin released an enhanced Xeno scanner with a much more practical 2km scan range. Aegis's first offering this year was the Caustic Sync Launcher. Essential to penetrating the Thargoid maelstroms, but also very handy in all AX situations. Despite the harsh unlock requirements, these modules have become ubiquitous. It quickly followed up with the Pulse neutralizer. The same technology used to counteract the Thargoid shutdown field was reworked to partially neutralise the effect of the massive pulse that drove back any ships that tried to approach the heart of the Maelstroms. With these two modules, it was possible to enter the calm heart of the Maelstroms, where the Thargoid Titan Hive ships, the command centres of the invasion, attended by numerous smaller Thargoid ships. And with the addition of Aegis's confusingly named Pulse Wave Xenoscanner, it became possible to locate and retrieve research samples from the Titan hive ships. Seojin A, the former test subject D2, who can feel the Thargoids' thoughts, warned that the Thargoids know what is happening, and that we should exercise extreme caution near the Titans. In July, Azimuth held a Convention for Prospective Partners, which received limited support. A tangible result of this convention was the release of the overcharged, gimbaled AX multi-cannon with Autoloader. Like all recent Azimuth developments, this was an incremental improvement on an existing design rather than anything groundbreaking.
1: The Thargoids also introduced new weapons into the fight in the form of Hunters. These medium-sized ships currently have two known forms, the Glaive and the Scythe. The Glaive's speciality is containment, preventing human ships from going about their business. With amazing acceleration and the ability to damage and disable internal modules, the Glaive is by far the most disruptive of all Thargoid ships. The Scythe became known about through the high-profile loss of the Dedicant megaship, Members of the Far God Cult, long reviled and disenfranchised in the Federation, were in June put aboard the Dedicant, a megaship built by the Cult but confiscated by the Federation, to be deported. This turned out to be a mistake. The Cult members somehow managed to hijack the ship, and jumped off to a system full of Thargoids to achieve transcendence. They got something rather different. Logs recovered from the wreck reveal that the entire complement of crew, guards and Fargod cult members were sucked out into space and captured by a vast fleet of scythe hunters, whose sole purpose is to capture humans and take them for storage in the eight Thargoid Titans. Since the invasion started, but far more thoroughly now, tens of thousands of humans have been abducted by the scythes.
0: Why did the Thargoids want to take so many human captives? In a leaked recording, Seo A explained to Aegis that she had detected a modulation in the hive mind. The Thargoids were no longer attempting to gain ground. They were now concentrating on gathering as many humans as possible, and storing them in pods aboard the Titans. The reason for this was, and still remains, obscure. But Sio said they were vital for the next phase of the Thargoid invasion. Could this mean they are to fight as a slave army? Or that they are to spread some sort of contagion? Aegis's first priority was to rescue as many humans from the Titans as possible. All the work it had been doing to gain access to the Titans finally had a clear purpose it developed a modification to the Pulsewave Xenoscanner to identify where human captives were being held inside the Thargoid Titans. And at the beginning of October, it released a heavily modified subsurface displacement missile, renamed the Subsurface Extraction Missile, which together enabled the start of a long and arduous task to rescue the captives and bring them back to the rescue ships for recuperation and observation. In October, the first captives were revived and appeared to be in good health. They were, however, kept in strict quarantine until the very end of December, when Prime Minister Mahan authorised the release into society of Alliance citizens who had been rescued. At the time of writing, there has been no report of any untoward consequence of this move. In parallel to all
1: the work on the Maelstroms and their prisoners, the war against the Thargoids was going well. Once it had been established that the best way to drive the Thargoids back from a system was to prevent them from invading in the first place, the Thargoids dropped back from holding nearly 1,200 systems in May to around 300 by the end of the year. Logistics also seems to have been a problem for the Thargoids. In September they started growing strange spiky organic machines on 45 planets in systems they controlled. At the very end of October, these organic machines matured as spirocytes, which continued to be used by the Orthrus interceptors to collect whatever compounds the Titans need to continue operating. These sites are patrolled by hovering surface vehicles. These are small revenants, which are also found patrolling captured human settlements, and banshees, which are far larger and which can fire volleys of sticky bombs as well as attacking ships with disruption bombs which briefly take the ship's systems offline. Once again, humans are gaining the upper hand, gradually shutting these sites down. Maelstrom-Tyrannis is isolated, with no client systems and no spire sites to resupply it. Additionally, Professor Palin has devised a scheme for contaminating the material that's being harvested from the remaining spire sites, in the hope that the Titans will be weakened.
0: It is unclear what will happen next in the war. The Thargoids are being pushed back, but the Titan systems remain firmly in the hands of the Thargoids, with no indication that any of them, not even Tyrannus, have been weakened. We need a way of driving the Titans out, if the invasion is ever to be completely repelled. A big unknown is the reason the Thargoids are holding all those captives. Sio says they are vital to the Thargoid war effort, but so far the Thargoids don't seem to have done anything with them, and thousands of them have been safely recovered. Whatever it is, has the Thargoids' next move been prevented by our swift action in rescuing the captives? Or will Prime Minister Mahan find out that releasing the recovered captives wasn't such a good idea after all? An end to the Thargoid invasion seems tantalisingly close, but without a clear understanding of what the Thargoids are trying to achieve, it's hard to be sure what victory looks like.
1: Aside from the Thargoid invasion, 3309 has seen a federal presidential election, concerns over the lack of a successor to the Emperor, calls for an end to the serious alliance defence pact, a scare over madness spread by radio waves, and mounting evidence that salvation may
0: not be as dead as we had assumed. Federal President Hudson, like Prime Minister Mahan in 3307, has remained in office well past the end of his term. He was due to give up office in June, but the election wasn't even held till October, three months later. And even though Hudson wasn't entitled to run for re-election, as he's already served eight years, he remains in office with a vague promise that President-elect Winters will be permitted to take up office early in 3310. The election campaign lasted nearly two years, with Hudson attempting to suspend the laws that prevented him from running again. It was only when that legal action had failed, with the court citing the risk of Hudson becoming a lifelong dictator, that his deputy, Jerome Archer, was selected as the Republican Party candidate, alongside running mate Congressman Nico Shirakawa. The Liberal Party ticket consisted of Shadow President Felicia Winters and Congressman Isolde Rochester. The only third-party candidate to make it through the early rounds of voting was trillionaire businessman and alleged pirate, Zachary Rackham. In fact, he actually is a pirate, exposed by journalist Brianna Blanco in the Federal Times, something that led to his last-minute withdrawal from the contest. We will never know if his populist, just-like-me, small-government, low-tax, libertarian approach with the promise of untold wealth for all would have secured him the top job. It doesn't seem far-fetched to think he might have won. In the event, though, Felicia Winters managed a narrow 4% margin over Archer to win the race. Archer, as architect of the government snooping agency, the Proactive Detection Bureau was hugely unpopular among many in the electorate, so he did well to come such a close second. Now, though, the question is, just how long must Winters wait to become the new president? She already has an official portrait, so the changeover should be straightforward, unless some other change in the political landscape is planned at the same time.
1: In July, it was reported that the imperial mother, Lady Florence Lavigny, mother of Emperor Arissa Lavigny Duval, was critically ill. She remains unwell, although not in immediate danger. But her illness has raised the delicate question of the imperial succession. The Emperor has no children, and at nearly 67 years old, she can legitimately be described as middle-aged. The Imperial press has been speculating about what will happen if, for the first time in the history of the Empire of Achenar, the Emperor has no offspring. There are several Imperial relations who might like a shot at the throne. Hadrian Duval arguably has a strong case to succeed the current Emperor, and he already has a two-year-old child. Princess Ashling, the other frontrunner, does not currently have any children, but she has at least been in several relationships. Arissa shows no interest in romantic dalliances. Her hottest date was the year she spent cryogenically frozen at the hands of her kidnappers, the Lords of Restoration, in Summerland. Unless she gets a move on and brings forth some kind of progeny, the Emperor is likely to receive ever-increasing calls for a succession plan and more crazy ideas from Archduke Otto for gold statues in her likeness. If only her mother hadn't got inconveniently ill, she might have got away with it for a
0: few more years. The Sirius Corporation continues to provide th- theoretical protection for the Alliance from Thargoids, and the Alliance continues to pay in very real credits for the service. However, more councillors from the Alliance Assembly are expressing their concern that allowing serious privileged access to the Alliance military and to some parts of government is a really bad idea. Given that Sirius Corporation has failed to do anything useful other than help on a couple of resupply missions and assist in refitting Alliance megaships with anti-Zeno weapons, the Prime Minister's going to find it hard to justify extending the arrangement, despite relative apathy from Alliance commanders. Some believe that Mahan's decision to release from protective quarantine Alliance citizens who have been rescued from the Thargoids is an attempt to divert attention from the terrible job Sirius has done. Possibly worryingly, Azimuth Biochemicals has offered to take over from Sirius as the protector of the Alliance, although they have thankfully not offered to build another Proteus Wave weapon. Some have speculated that Azimuth doesn't have the expertise to build another such weapon following the apparent death of its founder, Dr Caleb Wychely, otherwise known as Salvation
1: there was a major security alert on the 26th of October after a broadcast of the occasional magazine show Frameshift Live. Garrett Orbital in the Shamash system, from where the show was broadcast, was taken over by an inexplicable madness. Members of the crew were reported to be suffering from a mass psychological disturbance that made them violent. Security crews took more than a week to subdue those affected. The strange mania had much in common with the fate of the generation ship Thetis, the wreck of which is still in the neighbouring Nefertem system. Those on board that ancient ship picked up a radio transmission which, once heard, turned everyone on board into mass murderers. Everyone on board is believed to have died, and it had been believed that the strange mania had died with the Thetis. The recent incident started when Shamash Future Navy pilots overheard a mysterious audio broadcast. Within hours, they'd become infected and turned to massacring anyone passing through the system. Shamash Future had to call for outside help to destroy the vessels of all affected pilots. Order was eventually restored on the 1st of November and the quarantine on Garrett Orbital was lifted. Frameshift Live was taken off air after the event and has not returned to our screens. Both hosts were rescued by a mysterious character in a skull costume, but both were severely shaken and took some time off to recover. One of the hosts, the so-called Pink Lady, has since chosen to leave the show,
0: in pursuit of her final fantasy. Speculation continues over whether Salvation, the man who fired the Proteus Wave and kick-started the Thargoid invasion, has somehow managed to preserve his consciousness after death. Seo A, the former test subject D2 who suffered cruel experimentation at the hands of Salvation, firmly believes he has preserved his consciousness using Guardian technology, possibly merging into the Guardian Artificial Intelligence constructs. She set off at the beginning of the year to find evidence salvation lives on in some form, and she seems to have found evidence that has convinced Simguru Pranavantal of the Utopian Commune, an organisation that has put considerable effort into preserving human knowledge and experiences in a massive archive, that there may be some validity... In her theories, as yet, the Sim Guru has declined to give details about what he believes happened to Salvation, as he wishes to respect Siyogin A's privacy. But it is clear that he is taking seriously the idea that the so-called Nemesis failsafe has preserved Salvation's consciousness in some form. If Salvation, who is fixated upon the destruction of the Thargoids at any cost, comes back at the head of a Guardian Navy flying Guardian ships piloted by Guardian AI, and if he turns the bubble into a Thargoid versus Guardian battleground, he may finally achieve the final extinction of the human race.